program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views expressed are those of the panelists and not necessarily those of Sengents, Glamour Connection, Van Garrett Media, their respective management, contractors, or employees. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media. Welcome to the Share Your Hotness podcast. Share your hotness. Now, here's your host, Lita Green. Hello and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness podcast with your host, Lita Green, and my guest today, Julie Clef. And just as we were getting going, I said my last guest today already made me cry and I'm such a feeler. And then you said, because it's so valuable to be said. I said, everybody is, just some people don't realize it. (laughs) So that is probably the best intro to Julie right there. So deep. Julie, we, like many of my friends, I met through networking because we business owners, that is how we, that is called a play date with a purpose, right? (laughs) (laughs) We met and we both have the the commonality of having, a fair amount of experience with death. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, everybody has feelings and I'll tell you when death happens, it really reveals how you process feelings. Right. Right. So tell if you're comfortable, tell Absolutely. a little bit, uh, I'm, I'm, that's funny. Cause you run your own podcast. Of course you're comfortable. <laughs> you're like, can I ask you a question? I'm like, of course you can ask me a question. I put it up on <laughs> Facebook. Um, so, uh, you know, we're sharing our gifts, right? Uh, if you wouldn't mind, just let's just dive in and start giving people the story of your hotness. I will. I'll tell you my story. I do want to share just real quickly because it reminded me of it. When I was writing my book, Miracles in the Darkness, I told my husband, I said, or asked him, I said, how are you? Are you okay with like, I'm writing all this stuff down about our lives and are you okay with that? And he says, you already say everything on the podcast. So what's the difference? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. true. It's true. I'm an open book. Um, I, like you said, I've experienced a lot of loss. Uh, I lost my brother to suicide and then went through a divorce with three young children and remarried and we had three children. So we had this beautiful family, this Brady Bunch family of six kids. And um, unfortunately on Mother's Day in 2007, I was traveling uh, with my three youngest children on a trip. Uh, from where we lived at the time in Houston, Texas to North Carolina. And mid-afternoon, I fell asleep at the wheel. I I had no, I never even felt tired. It was the most bizarre experience, but I fell asleep at the wheel and my, the SUV I was driving, I woke up in the median between the eastbound and westbound lanes of highway. Mm -hmm. And when I tried to pull SUV back up on the highway, we just rolled and rolled and rolled. I mean, it's a miracle that any of us survived. Now, and, how and old were your kids at the time? My kids. So my son, James was 12 and he was in the front seat with me. And then my two littles were 10 and eight. Carrie was 10. David was eight at the time. And unfortunately, when we rolled, Carrie and David were thrown from the car. And um, James and I, you know, survived, but Carrie and David didn't make it. They died that day. And it was mother's. It was like the most horrific, like think about the most horrific experience of your life. And like, that's it. I, I, I just, um, even when I tell this story, I'm like, I can't believe I lived through that. 
<laughs> like it's right. so, it's so crazy to me. And I was there. So I understand when people are overwhelmed by my story because I'm overwhelmed by it. But yeah. here I am like living and breathing and not only surviving, but thriving. And so that is the, that is the real story is that even though we can live through these horrific things, life can be good again. And, um, you know, I, Carrie and David were the most lovely children. Carrie was just the most charming, compassionate girl you could ever meet. And David was the most rambunctious. Like we have stories out the gazoo about that, that kid. He, like, we still like David's stories are, I was, are I was legendary. about to say, I hope you still tell those stories. Absolutely. Um, I believe that they're still close to us. And it's funny. I was kind of For laughing sure. because I remember being in a meeting at some point or hearing you speak at one of the meetings that we've you know gone to. And you said that, like, I survived this. I can't believe that I survived it. And every time I've heard that, I kind of laugh because I always say the real story is not that my husband got hit by a bus or had a heart attack or I was in a wheelchair or our daughter died. The story is we were happy. Yeah, exactly. You know, obviously there were difficult things. Which is so shocking for people. Right. And so <laughs> let's, let's just get into it. Right. Like, right. I don't know if we put a trigger warning on this cause it's too late. We already went there, but, um, I, I imagine that you like me when you had the thought and I, I don't know, I feel like it was God kind of preparing me of, you know, a kid's going to die or, you know, or your husband's going to die or something like that. And I would, you know, just get those thoughts. And I don't know if that's everybody's kind of like that. You just have a split thought. And I always imagined, well, I would be in the fetal position. Mm. Right. And then over time, especially with my husband, I was walked through and I can see that it literally was like a God thing to where I started creating a plan of what I would do. And um, I remember a moment when I was pregnant with my daughter that I was told someone was going to die. Mm. And what your initial imagining of that is. And so when people say, I can't even imagine be like, I can't either. Right. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. still doing it. I'm still doing it. Grief is not something that ends. So, well, and honestly, I believe it does. Uh, yeah, I'm very different in that, that I really, really want to draw a distinction between that grief, which is that just like overwhelming the tsunami sorrow that we feel and the occasional sadness. Like I don't, I don't live in grief at all. Okay. So I, I get what you're saying. And I want to make sure we're defining words, right? Because when you talked about your story, um, people couldn't see your face. Um, people will say to me, so when you're speaking, um, you, it's like, you're going there. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm not acting, you right. know, I'm telling you the story and those emotions and how it pulls on my face and my voice is, is completely genuine, but I can step out of it quickly. Mm-hmm. And so is that kind of what you're talking about? Because, you know, we're never going to be like, oh, I'm so glad that happened. Even though we can see. No. And, and there's a difference between, I'm so glad that happened and, and living in sorrow every day. Right. So, right. And so let's, what do we, do you have, because you've written what two books? 
And I have one book podcast. and I have the podcast and I have a grief support group and I coach people one-on-one like, so yeah, right. this is and my I've life. Sent people to you when they've been like, Lita, help me through it. I'm like, I'm willing to have a conversation with you and I'm working on the book, but I don't do coaching around grief. So definitely recommend Julie for that. But when I'm um, talking about sexual abuse, I took the, the victim stage, right? The survivor stage and then the advocate phase. Have you worked through kind of giving grief different stages separate than, you know, the cycle of grief and stuff like that? Have you kind of given right. them different phases? Yeah, absolutely. So I developed the, the grief model of healing, which kind of takes, so there's a, there's a model of grief that, that basically says that we experience something, you know, loss that, that creates feelings of grief. We experience something and then we grow around it. And, and so the model of grief that was originally developed basically says that we hold on to the grief and we grow around it. Okay. So this is so important because people like you and I, like, I'll be laughing and they'll say, why are you laughing? Didn't you bury a daughter? And I'm like, how does that honor my kid to live in that tsunami of grief that I can't even like, I just want to be in the fetal position, which is what right. people imagine. Right. And I've even had, and I was there. I was there. years. I was there. Like it, 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 you can't, it's not like you just go, okay, I'm going to today. I'm, I have grief for one day and the next day I'm going to just live in a life yeah, of like gratitude. It's not like that, <laughs> like you know, switch. it's for sure. Yeah. You're, but that, yeah, yeah. that model of grief basically says that the grief stays there and we grow around it. And I'm using my hands and you can't see, but no, I, I, <laughs> I can, the audience can, but I think yeah. your words are clear that we that expand we out from it. We expand yeah. out from there. We have new experiences. We have new life experiences that, that and we create a, a life around the grief, but my model goes one step further. And that is once we have gained that strength to carry the grief, then we have the strength to go in and heal the grief. There's a reason that we hang on to the grief. We hang on to the grief because we connect the grief with the person or the thing that we lost in order to let go of the grief. We have to disconnect the person from the pain of the experience. Yes. Now this is, this is a big point. Because I think we feel like if we do not keep that connection, we're somehow dishonoring the memory. I feel like this is what people are saying. And I always talk about flipping. What does it mean to actually honor them? Right. Absolutely. Um, but you know, you'll, it, that their memory, especially when we're talking about children where they didn't get to have, you know, a child of their own or a legacy per se in the yeah. traditional sense of how the world looks at legacy that we want to make sure we're maintaining that memory and so we can't move beyond it. And mm -hmm. so I like what you're saying, because you're saying that's not just that you build this life around it. You find the meaning mm -hmm. in the loss. Mm -hmm. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. And it, and it just really comes down to, we don't honor our children with pain. The pain does not increase our love. Okay. Hold love on. Love existed. On. Yes. <laughs> this is so good stuff, Julie. And I don't want anyone to miss it. And I want to make sure that it's not just you and I having this conversation, right? There are people out there, um, you know, the view of motherhood of, oh, I sacrifice all for my children. This is relating to what we're talking about. 
-hmm. If your child dies or your child's a live, that is not love. If you're wrapping pain into it. Exactly. Exactly. Because think about it for a minute before they died, we loved them. We loved them fully. We loved them wholly. We loved them completely after they died. There was no need for pain in order to love them before. Yeah. <laughs> There's no need for pain in order to love them after. Okay. So back to that lady who's listening into this conversation that feels like she has sacrificed to have children, which I realize we can't unpack, you know, <laughs> you know, a millennia of women. And I have a hundred page manual Lita, <laughs> on all of this. So believe me, <laughs> we're not going to cover it all in one conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I want to make sure we're relating it because when people say, I can't imagine, and before they're discounting what we're saying about our children of the past, this relates to them in their day-to-day, how they're processing the sacrifices they're making as a parent, right? Mm-hmm. How are we confronting those ideas and how the lessons of grief, what we broadly define as grief? Because I think you need to come up with some new words, Julie. There's some homework. Yeah. <laughs> I have all kinds of words. I have because the words. active grief to the, the grief you've lived with, with joy. I mean, we just don't have a lot of words for this because I think people run away from pain, right? So right. how do we relate this to her? The lady sitting in her kitchen going, I'm having to cook lunch again. <laughs> That's an interesting question. I, I'm try, I have to really think about that. But, but for, for me, I, and maybe this is how we relate it, is that I, because of my experience, it opened my eyes to life that I had missed before. Mm-hmm. When you go through the hardest thing, when you go through this like really painful experience and you realize all the other stuff that I worried about, all the other stuff that was like so hard, all the other stuff that I was so concerned about didn't matter. Exactly. This is what I was hoping you would say is because we put so much meaning on things that don't actually have meaning. Right. Like if our kid goes to the college we want, or they, you know, perform in their grades or, you know, these outward manifestations of parental success. Mm-hmm. really no. just don't matter. No. Right. It's those little moments of connection between human souls. And how does death change that? And I don't it, think it does. And it's love. It's like, it all comes down to love. Right. How, how can we love at the yes. highest level? And, and what does that look like? And what does that feel like? And how do we connect to that? Yeah. In a, in a wholeness. I love it. I love it. I love that you're talking about love because I really do think it, you know, as all the songs and say that it is the answer. And, and that's the beauty. That's the beauty of healing the pain of an experience is that the pain of the experience can block us from love. And so when we, when we're able to heal, like when we, when we go in, it's like the model of of grief that I was explaining earlier that we typically see where we grow around it. We're basically leaving a dead space in, in, in the middle of us. Because we don't want to touch that. 
Right. Let's yeah. not leave the dead space. Which is why I think it's so important that people not only find a path through healing. So, you know, having someone who's actually been there is why a grief coach is that, is that what you call yourself? A grief coach uh-huh. Yes, is going to be, I just want to make sure I use the right. So I wasn't offensive to grief coaches out there. No, <laughs> right? no, 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 it's so important because it is so unfathomable that first day you're like, wait, there's all these days after today, how we do this to know that there is something beyond those wrenching posts that you might see on, you know, social media, the, the angry cry that, you know, you see in the, the movies, right. Because they don't process what it looks like to go into that pain. And I don't know, I don't know if I'm comfortable with the word heal because, um, it's, it's a restrengthening. I feel like, you know, like sometimes I think of healing, like, um, you know, you couldn't see that it was there. Right. Yeah. Well, if you think about like, if you get a physical injury, there's still a scar. You may still have a scar. Yeah. But, but the scar healed. is beautiful. Right. You're healed, but you're, you're just, you may be carrying a scar. It doesn't mean that you're, you know, you're not. Right. Healed. And we look at the scars as something terrible, mm-hmm. right? But there's a beauty in this is what I've lived through. Right. And there's a, there is an increase. And I believe that for every piece of darkness or despair, that we, um, have to experience in this life, right? Mm-hmm. We are entitled to the equal light. Oh, I totally agree. And, and, you know, th- some of my experience is definitely informed by the idea that I'm still my kid's mom. Like, even though they're on, I the say that side, all the time, but they're I'm, still my children. Yes. Amen, sister. Cause I talk about how bossy my daughter is. <laughs> and, you know, when I refer to my son, you know, just the other day I said to him in a letter, um, you know, you and your sisters, you know, because they have, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I cry all the time. So, because they have different responsibilities that I have as a parent to them. Yeah. And let's, let's go into that for a minute because if death doesn't change it and they now live, do you believe I'm just going to presume, please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I'm assume, assumption that your belief is heaven, God, that kind of thing. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. They're um, still alive. They're just in a different place. Let's, let's go into this. So for the person that um, I've had friends that don't have a belief in that. And I just say, I, I don't really have an answer for them because it's so clear in my mind exactly. that my daughter exists as much as my, you know, that Caitlin exists as much as Nathaniel and Elsa. And remind me your kids that pass names again, Carrie and David, Carrie and David. So Carrie and David, like for you and for me, are those children that we call angel children now, right. Are tangible to our life and the direction of our life. Absolutely. And we to their life. So how do we answer this question? Because you and I are both women of faith. And you're a grief counselor, a grief coach. How had you answer that to someone who doesn't believe? Because I don't think when someone dies is the time to say, well, they're in heaven. And just to answer right. that question, this is an right. individual thing. So how do we answer that for someone and, who that, doesn't? And honestly, that can feel very dismissive. 
right? If, oh, you know, if incredibly someone, dismissive. Exactly. Yeah. If someone has lost someone close to them and we say, well, they're still around and they're still in heaven and so forth. Well, and I think even if people believe in a heaven and God saying, well, isn't it a comfort? You'll hold them again. Exactly. It's That's, still dismissive. So let's, let's be instructive around that. Yeah. Yeah. It's dismissing the pain of the experience. Like even, even while, while I was in the hospital within the first 24 hours, I had, uh, someone come from a local church and come talk to me about like, Oh, they still exist and so forth. And I'm like, I believe that too, but this isn't the time, right? This isn't the time this I'm, I'm going to hold on to that. I'm, I'm, I understand that, but right now I need to be in pain. And, and honestly, the first couple, first year, first two years, I was very, um, very accepting of the pain. Like it was excruciating. It was awful. I went into a deep depression, but I, having gone through the death of my brother and a divorce, like I had felt grief before and I understood the impact of it. This was different. Obviously every experience is different, but I was, I was okay with being in grief. I'm like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Like, it makes sense. No one is going to question that I'm in grief, but it's after I got past the first year and a half or two years that I got impatient. And I started thinking I should be doing better than I am. What's wrong with me. And then I heaped so much more pain on top of myself. Right. With those but thoughts see, and feelings. As a society, we, we act like pain is a bad thing. Yeah. We give people antidepressants, which I'm not against medicated help at all. I don't want to, I want to be really clear on that, but you know, we act like if you're in pain, then here's a pill, here's entertainment, here's a drug, here's something to avoid that pain. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just going to assume both you and I are guilty of that when you had all those kids too. Yeah. You know, and I was homeschooling when my kids stayed. Of course you were. Cause that would be just the origin. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as much as our children and, you know, keeping busy can provide um, purpose and meaning in that day, avoiding pain and what that costs you mm-hmm. in the long term what's the right word, Julie? Is it recovery or living with what's the right word? Recovery, I think is a great word. Um, we need a new word. We do. So you and I are just going to have to, so we'll, we'll figure out that what that is. And then we'll patent the word. There you go. There you go. We'll, we'll figure that out and and get back to you all. Um, (laughs) yeah, because I don't feel like, um, I don't feel like just saying grief fits what that whole experience is. No. And it seems to almost put a cap on what that looks like, that it's this one thing, the thing we envision it the most. And we need to give people the vision. There's something beyond that. Right. That doesn't dishonor or forget. Yeah. Grief is an umbrella term. Yeah. That encompasses all the guilt, shame, depression, uh, anxiety, fear, you name it. The shoulda, coulda, wouldas. Yeah. yeah. 
all that stuff, it's, you know, grief is kind of the, the umbrella term, the confusion, the despair, like all of that just all gets kind of put into this umbrella of grief and all of that needs to be unpacked. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. And, and it's so interesting that we started this episode talking about how we're all creatures of feeling like that's what is our humanity. That's what makes us human. But so many of us are so disconnected from our feelings. And I was so disconnected from my feelings. I had, I was brought, you know, brought up like most of us emphasis was on intellect, the emphasis on education and performance. And there was, there was no training. Like, think about it. We have, we, we have educational training. We have for our intellect. We have religious training for our spiritual, whatever we have physical education for our physical development. Well, and this is, we have nothing. Yeah. And you said spiritual and you were like, whatever, because I feel like a lot of times we just go and we make it an intellectual exercise where it's supposed to be a feeling exercise. It's supposed to be an empathy exercise, but we make it an outside performance. And that's Mm -hmm. where I think religion can go wrong Mm -hmm. because religion is supposed to be to help you with the feelings. Yeah. Why are we here? What is our purpose? Right. And so if it's all you're gonna take me on you yeah. take me on another tangent talking about <laughs> why spiritual things are so difficult when we're in grief, because huh? because it because then all of a sudden we are confronted with our feelings. And we think because we're performance-based of what we've been taught, and I'm putting that in quotations, that we are supposed to perform in grief a certain way. It's supposed to look a certain way, as though we could possibly know or imprint on someone else, how to process feelings. Well, and there's so many misconceptions about, about grief in general in society. There's so many. And I, and I often say like grief is like being thrown into the middle of a deep lake and you've never learned how to swim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think about what that experience would be like. I'm terrified of, I mean, I don't swim. So that doesn't, so there you go. So you're the perfect. uh, It doesn't, it doesn't take much, you know? And I think a common experience, um, that people hear is well, you're supposed to do this and people. Um, so after my daughter died, um, I had a sister-in-law that wrote me a letter that if I loved my daughter, I would have died inside and two and a half pages of every family insult and her projection of how she felt that I should respond. Obviously our relationship was then over because Mm -hmm. she was, you know, attacking me around, you know, a very sacred and intimate event in my life. But I went to a therapist because I just couldn't understand. I didn't know you then Julie. Um, But I went to a therapist and I was like, how can she do this? And it was very much about her, 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 her. Right. And what the therapist came back to me was twofold. And I would love your insight on this because I'm sure my experience though that's kind of dramatic is not unique that people not unique. project, right? One said that when really terrible, hard things happen, the human brain, of course, does not want to think this could happen to us. So we demonize the other person so that we can be like, well, see, they're a bad person or they did a bad thing or, you know, they took a pill when they were pregnant. That's why their baby died or something that we try to um, give them some kind of terrible trait that we don't have. So therefore we're safe. So it's like this safety bubble we're creating. 
And that the other thing of how we project that is a threatening of our self-esteem. And so the other thing he's telling me is if you're allowing her to, you know, be a guide through your path, then you're guilty of doing the same thing, you know, picking up projections of others. Right. Hmm. So I just gave you a lot and I'm just going to let you go with it. (laughs) It really speaks to our lack of education about grief in society in general, because and, and Lita, I'm sure you've had this experience where people say, well, you know, what stage of grief are you in? And, and they, they, that's all they know about grief is that so somewhere, simplified. somewhere, somebody created this stages and you're supposed to be on this linear path and it's supposed to last so long. And if you're outside of that range, then therefore you're not doing it right or you're stuck or whatever. And, and honestly, and really it's on repeat. It's stuck on repeat to a certain, you know, I may be okay with um, going to the grocery store and I can accept going to the grocery store. (laughs) Right. But, you know, I might have a hard time at, you know, the baby store. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So there's so, so, so much to it. There's so much to it. And, and I, I love this conversation because you're like, like, Oh, I, I want to tell you about this and this and this and this, <laughs> but it's, there's so much to it. And that's why I'm, I'm so grateful to be in this position where I get to work with people one-on-one and I get to, I get to comfort them in knowing that it is okay to be sad. It is okay to grieve and, and it's okay to want something more. Because grief is never going to be comfortable. It's never going to be comfortable. But what really created so much pain for me was when I got to that place where I thought there's something wrong with me. I'm, I'm never going to be okay. I've got to do this different. I've got to be different. I've got to be a different human. I'm not acceptable the way I am. And that created so much incredible pain. Mm-hmm. And, and other people are going to have thoughts about the way that we should do it. And it's, and that's so difficult because if we're that drowning person in the middle of the lake, we don't know how to do it. And then we've got all these voices outside of us saying, well, you're supposed to grieve forever, or you're, you're not doing it right because of this or that or the other then we're like in the middle of this lake drowning. Nobody's really helping us. They're just shouting things at us saying, well, do it this way, do it this way, do it this way. None of it's helpful. Right. Now, when you were saying that you were actually doing pointing like different people pointing. (laughs) And I expressive with my hand. And I love it because, you know, I'm fluent in sign language, but um, what was interesting about you pointing, it was all, you were moving your finger from place to place, pointing on these different things. But if we go back to that analogy you gave of drowning in a lake, that person, when they're telling you how to do it, it's like you were putting your hand, your finger on their head, putting them under the water. Oh, that's funny. Right. So that that. was kind of this sign language thing that you were doing. And that when we're telling other people how they're supposed to be, it's like, we're pushing a drowning person under the water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's an interesting, interesting way to look at it, but it's so true. It's so true. And, and we do it with good meaning. Like we, you know, and this is what I well, try to comforting. We're, right. We're saying those kinds of things 
oh, isn't it a comfort? You'll hold them again because they're saying, if this were my fear, I want to be comforted by that. Exactly. But what is the advice you give people to say to other people? Because hopefully um, not everyone listening has buried a child. Exactly. exactly. Right. We're not in and, uh, countries and, and, where we have such a terrible birth rate uh, of, you know, infant mortality and things like that, or child, you know, not naming kids till they're five. So what do you advise people to say? I know what I say, but this is for you, Julie, and I would love to be taught. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. This is really hard. I mean, it's just, that's yeah. it. Yeah, that's it. exactly. That's exactly what I tell people. Just, I'm so sorry. This really sucks, but yeah. you're more appropriate than I am. You don't throw in uh, swear words of the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny. Yeah. It's, it's, so- it's, just, it's a tough for everybody. And when other people are, are trying to, what our friends and family, when we feel bad, they feel bad. And if they can cheer us up, then they can feel better. But we know that, that cheering up is not what we need in grief. We need encouragement. Yes. But not like, not this dismissive, you know, it's going to be okay. You're get over you're, it, get over it you know, they're, they're in a better place, that kind of thing. Right. And, and if you say those things and I have been guilty of doing it, it comes out of my mouth and I go, what the heck just happened? <laughs> if you do it, it's okay. Like be there, show up. I, I think the biggest pain that I see in my clients that one of the biggest pains that they experience is feeling like people are ignoring them. Mm-hmm. and are just distancing themselves from them. Well, probably because they are. They are. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, exactly. it's uncomfortable and it's awkward. And what do you say? And um, I always found this funny that people say, oh, I'm sorry I brought her up. And I'm like, oh, oh, she's always there. Just like my living children are. So you bringing it up was not like, what? I had a kid that died? Oh, like, I don't have dementia. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I remember. <laughs> Yeah. And so the best thing you can do is to bring them up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk I, to them. I, I loved, I love, still do. I love hearing stories of, you know, people's experience with the kids and, and, and it's been a few years now, but you know, those stories still come up occasionally or someone will send me a picture um, and say, oh, I just found this picture of, of David, you know, at his scout camp or whatever it was. And, and they'll send it to me. And those are fun. Those are fun memories. And that's one of the, that's one of the great things. One of the things I'm, I'm so grateful for the healing that I've experienced because those pictures have so much meaning to me and they're not full of pain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because if we hang on to the pain, then all the memories are painful even happy memories are painful. Mm, So profound. So true. I mean, my experience, because, you know, every, the death of anyone is different, you know, like the death of your brother, that your dad, you know, um, that I think when we lose a child, there's a certain amount of gift in the fact that they probably didn't, you know, lie or cheat on us. They didn't cause pain where sometimes, you know, when we lose a, a parent, maybe that, uh, you know, you just heard about these kinds of things where 
the parent might have not been the best parent or there was an alcoholic parent, you know, those kinds of stories, right? That it's hard to hold on to the good. And I think everybody who's had a relationship that ends absolutely is going to be able to identify with this. Um, there's a certain amount of a gift in celebrating a child because there's unlived potential, but there isn't, you know, they, they, uh, you know, they beat the crap out of me one day. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know, maybe that's just me trying to look at all of the, the, I'm an optimist by nature, right? Well, and, and grief is associated with, with so much, it's so broad, much broader than, than death. I, I would say 50% of the clients that I work with, it's because of a death in the family, but the other 50% are people who are estranged from people who have gone through divorce, who have gone through health issues, um, abuse. There's, there's such a range of, of events that create feelings of grief. And, and I want, I want to be really clear because we're talking about the, the people will say the most unimaginable pain they is losing a child. And, and they'll say that. And so sometimes when people hear your story or they hear my story, they think, well, I shouldn't grieve because I didn't lose a child. This is what happened, but I didn't lose a child. So therefore I don't have a right to grieve. And I want to tell you right now that if you've experienced a loss, you have every right to grieve that loss and to process all those emotions and go through the healing process, no matter what the loss is. Now, our, our listeners couldn't see what I was gesturing to you during that. <laughs> I was like, sing it. Was celebrating. You know? <laughs> yeah, because that is such an integral principle to having happiness in your life. Because, you know, when I ate breakfast this morning, 75% or probably more than that of the world's population did not get to eat or did not get to eat the same nutrients that I did. So did I let breakfast not be an enjoyable experience to me? Right? Yeah. And so when we, when we compare our pain to others and say, I shouldn't, that is called shame. Exactly. And feelings that are not dealt with as you were talking Acknowledged. about. Acknowledged, yeah. Right, they don't go away they're going to morph into, you know, a, a demon inside of us. Right. And we have to allow ourselves to sit with it, to mm -hmm. feel it and stop trying to avoid it and create a pathway that we are going to get out of this at some point. Mm -hmm. We are working towards a goal of not living here forever as a victim of it. But, you know, that creates, you know, having a map, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so one of the reasons I do talk about it so much is because I want people to know that, you know, joy is on the other side, it, the joy and pain are mingled together and they live together and that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's actually kind of happy, but <laughs> you know, we label feelings, um, unpleasant feelings as bad things mm -hmm. and pleasant feelings as good things. Right. And, and we so can't, and we can't suppress one without suppressing the other. Yep. So yep. if, if we're ignoring our feelings that we label bad, the feelings that are negative or, or feel painful, if we, if we dismiss those, we're dismissing all of our feeling, we become numb 
And that's why we're, we're walking around a bunch of numb people because honestly, there's not a person on the planet that has not ex experienced grief in the last two years. <laughs> we have experienced right? a community grief experience. Yeah. And, and we have to acknowledge our losses. We have to acknowledge the losses and the emotions that were accompanied with those losses in order to move through and forward. And grief, how quickly it leads to fear. Oh, absolutely. And I love the, the idea of numbness. I, I mean, I don't love being numb, but you know, when you're numb, you can't articulate, you can't bring things in. Breathing is difficult, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and I think one of the things that would help all of us tremendously is to learn how to love and appreciate ourselves, not from an egotistical standpoint, but just from a, a, an acknowledgement of our personal value. Amen. We, we are so busy, worried about everybody else around us and, and discounting our own thoughts, feelings, desires, that it's, then we get in grief and we're in big trouble because we don't have a life preserver to hold on to because we haven't valued ourselves. I, I totally agree. I mean, God told me write the book and the book that I'm working on now is more laughter than tears. And yet I was like, I can't tell that story until I tell this other story, which is my first book how to embrace your inner hotness, which, you know, how to be confident and have a healthy self-reception. So thank you. That's exact. I agree with that so much mm -hmm. because if I were just to tell the story, I'm sure the listeners experienced this when they heard this, they went, how is this woman? Because there is, there is that element. Um, I've no, I don't even know how to say it without sounding like such a jerk, you know, but you were driving the car. I was. Yeah. And, um, with, with my daughter's passing, I did choose to give her life and I could have, I was offered an abortion several times, you know, I could have not had the experience of seeing her suffer, but if we cause it or we quotation marks, didn't cause it, that would be not living life. Right. It's not like your intention that day. And even if your intention was, well, I can just get another 10 miles. We're all guilty of the things that have led to death for other people in our day-to-day yeah. -day life. It's yeah. part of living. Yeah. And you can't, you can't go through your life in such a level of fear of fearing death and discomfort that you, you would Stop never move forward. Yeah. You would, you would literally have the gift of life and not be using it. Exactly. And it really, we talk a lot about forgiving other people, but there's, there is an, an opportunity and a humongous need for mm -hmm. us to forgive ourselves. Aren't, and not just in the first, what's that? I'm sorry. So doesn't the need to forgive ourselves go first before we can really learn to forgive others? Absolutely. And isn't it interesting? We don't recognize that. And that's why we have so much trouble forgiving other people. And we don't even know why. 
that we're struggling so much with that, but we have such, such an opportunity to forgive ourselves on a day-to-day basis. The every day something happens that we can either shame ourselves for, or we can forgive ourselves for. And, and just looking around and just realizing we're just human. We're people. We're not, we're not robots. We're not expected to, to do everything perfectly. And, and truth be told, what is perfect anyway? Because <laughs> I could do things this way and Lita would go, oh, that's perfect. And somebody else would say, what are you thinking? You know, I, there is no perfect. Right. And that's just the whole concept of it is shaming. And I think a corruption of when God said, be therefore perfect, even as I am. Well, we know that God learned, you know, this says, you know, Jesus learned line upon line. So if you're a religious person, it's working, progressing, learning, 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 and never stop learning. Right. We're, we're not, we're not perfect in ourselves. We're perfect in Christ. Right. And so for those that are not of a religious uh, slant, like you and I are, um, the idea that profession is perfection exists on this planet. You look at a tree and you see that tree and all of its beauty. And then you could look up closer and see a leaf that's malformed. Mm-hmm. But didn't that contribute to the overall beauty of the tree? Absolutely. Right. And like we were just talking about the scars, mm-hmm. um, anything you might respect about Julie and I today are because of the imperfection of the past. Right. But I, I'm saying that word kind of tongue in cheek because it's what you're going through is perfect for what you're becoming. Yeah. I was trying to find this quote from Dr. Dispenza. Um, I don't know if you know who Dr. Dispenza is. Oh, he's amazing. But he has this quote and he said, says something along the lines of the, um, healing the emotions of the past is wisdom. Mm, healing some, the emotions of the yes, past is some, wisdom. Something along those lines. I'm not getting it exactly. I like it. I like it. It's um, when we, so strong emotions is what creates memories. It's the reason we have memories. So the memories that we have are associated with strong emotions. So when we have a a great celebration, like a wedding, those memories are, are implanted in our brain. When we have a really difficult experience, like a rollover accident where your kids pass away, it's, it's implanted in your brain because of the emotions. Yeah. I've heard this before and I really like it because, um, you know, I experienced several forms of abuse in my childhood. And obviously I remember those things very well. Mm-hmm. And my son said to me one day, he goes, mom, I don't really remember my childhood. I mean, I'm glad we have scrapbooks and we can look at those. And it was just kind of this full circle moment for me because I remember saying to uh, a friend of mine that if my kids had to go through the same things that I went through to become compassionate, loving people, then I don't want to have kids. Mm, and I've been able to raise compassionate, loving people, knock on wood, you know, they're 19 and 16. And it seems like those, those are what they're choosing to be. And they don't really remember their childhood. That means there was a consistency, Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. And it was just this moment of like, (sighs) I gave them what I wished I'd had. Right. Which is such a beautiful thing. And 
you know, my son said, I look back on when Caitlin died and I'm sorry, mom. It just, I just remember it being, I mean, I just have a lot of happy memories around that. And I'm just like, okay, (laughs) you know, just that was my goal. Yeah. And it does not mean that I was not crying and hurting and feeling, but I was like, this is not going to define my children's life. Well, and, and I'm love, seeing you say that a lot and what you're saying. Absolutely. And, and I, I love that you, you said define, because I think that's what happens too often is something hard happens and we define ourselves by that experience, but we are not the past. We are not what we've experienced. We are who we are. Like we, our identity my identity is not the mom of two kids who died. That's not my identity. Right? Exactly. And even in your branding, I knew that you had experienced, I mean, I, I would say, I know you fairly well, mm-hmm. you know, we've had a lot of interactions and things like that, despite the other day where I was looking right at you and could remember your name. Well, the funny was thing like, was that whole experience, I thought you couldn't see me on the camera. So I was like, Lita, it's me. It's Julie. (laughs) And you know, it was on a zoom, a zoom speech that I was doing, but they didn't have your name there. And I'm like, okay, tell me your name again, because we're close (laughs) enough that I should have your name without the little cheat of the, but you know, we just part of this thing, right? Yeah. We only have so many names that stay in our head, but we're pretty good friends. Uh And I feel like I hadn't heard that part of your story. Because when you're getting up to speak or training on this topic, which I've seen you speak a handful of times, I've networked with you many times, seen you stand up and do your one minute presentation. And you have never been like, that was not imprinted in my mind, what that part of your story was. And that's so powerful because those of us who are looking to be a speaker, once you have shared your story, then they've heard your story. But if you are sharing principles to help the audience or your reader get to a better place, then you have infinite content, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. And we, I have seen speakers that have come and gone that are like, have this crazy story, but they never get past the story. They're just telling the story. And though, I mean, this whole entire podcast is on hearing stories. It's not just my story. Right. Well, and and that's so interesting that you say that because we're opening a membership site for grief support and grief education. It opens actually tomorrow morning at the time of this recording, it'll be live by the time this goes live. Awesome. But one of the things that somebody said to me when I said that, you know, I was developing this was like, oh, are you sure you want to do that? You have to have lots of content. I'm like, no problem. (laughs) No problem. I have a hundred you're sharing principles. Yes. And I have cool. 136 episodes of build a life after loss podcast. And most of those are solo episodes where I'm sharing concepts and, and education around grief and coping and understanding and, and discovering and just that whole process. Yes. And I've listened to several of your podcasts, which is the whole other thing that I did not have the full scope of the story. And so just like you were saying earlier that we have to go beyond, um, you know, feeling like if we leave this moment of intensity of pain that are or, or years of intensity of pain, that somehow we have abandoned this love that we have for them. 
Mm -hmm. right? That, you know, there is this whole entire thing where you found healing, but have not forgotten, still honor, still love, still cherish. And that's that's the problem, right? That's the problem is that we think that the grief is what connects us. We think that it's the grief that's helping us remember, but that's not true. Okay. I have a theory. Okay. And I have never said this out loud to anyone. Well, I'm excited to hear. Okay. I think, oh, I'm feeling a little bit risque saying it because I know there are going to be people who hate it. Okay. Drama, right? That as a society, individuals, drama is an amazing way for us to not focus on the anything inside of us. We can focus on, well, look at what that's happening. And I feel like our approach to grief is that same vein that's addicted to drama. Yeah. No, it's, it's really interesting you say that because, you know, I mentioned Dr. Dispenza earlier. He, he teaches that we become, so when we have emotions, there's chemistry in our body. We create chemistry. We become addicted to our own chemistry. Okay. So I'm not that risque. You're not crazy at all. Like because that's, when you say somebody, why are you always drama? You can't say things like that to people and have the conversation go well, but there are certain people, there was just an awareness in my life that I, I realized this just a few weeks ago that handled the death of my daughter in such a mean way. Mm. And I was angry at them. I'm so sorry. It's, it's, it's okay. Um, And then I mean, it is what it is. Right. And then I realized the anger was really not them because they'd always been drama. Mm. they had always been that way so why did i why did lita think that they would suddenly be different mm-hmm. right you hoped and that's you know maybe being the optimist right and just because they have a parent of you know this family member or whatnot does not dictate that they are suddenly going to be oh, i know how to handle this i know how to cope with this and it was just this huge like releasing of not only that anger, but releasing them because I know they're just going to be drama again. Well, and really what you did was you released yourself. Yeah. You released yourself from the pain. Thank you. Putting it even more. Thank you for coaching me there. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Because again, everything comes back to responsibility within ourselves. Mm -hmm. And anytime we have that responsibility outside of ourselves, the grief is just going to increase. The pain is just going to increase the, the drama, whatever, because we have that power within ourselves. I, I had a really unusual experience in the hospital after the accident, you know, knowing that my kids had died. And I remember laying in that bed and I, and it's purely God. There's no other explanation for it. There were so many things, which is why my book is miracles in the darkness. But I just, in that moment, I made a decision that people could say whatever they were going to say. And I was not going to be offended by it, that I was going to assume, which is a crazy thing to be able to do in that moment. Huge wisdom. You know how much pain that would have saved me if I had understood that. That's why I say it's purely God. Like how, how do you come up with a thought like that in that takeaway, huge, huge gift. And, and I just, I knew in that moment that I, that I was going to accept everything that people said as, as their 
they're wanting to help. Even if it was awkward, even if it was uncomfortable, even that their desire was to help. Because I knew in that moment, I knew that I had, I had always been awkward with the whole grief thing. I had always never shown up the way I really wanted to for people in the past. And I knew that other people were going to do that. And, and so there were times when people would say things like, Oh, aren't you just grateful that they're in heaven and that they're okay. And, and I would know in that moment, like I would, I would feel the shock of that in the moment, but then I was able to realize they were saying that because they cared. Yes. What? Oh, I love this you know, that's the ultimate definition of giving grace, as they say in the South, right? Yeah. yeah. What a gift and wisdom you could have when you were so vulnerable. Like I said, it was completely a God thing. There's no, no question in my mind that he was like, okay, look, this is, this is a piece that I can give you because this is going to be hard. And I'm, I'm starting to cry because, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you were driving the car and yeah. it could have been a mental break yeah. if you had felt, if you had allowed the stupid comments of other people to compile on you having to work through that. Yep. You know, I mean, sure. oh, I just, yep. I got the, I got the God tier going here. I'm going to have an emotional day. <laughs> so, so <laughs> I many. love it. So many, um, incredible experiences through this whole thing and, and looking back and seeing that in the moment that all this happened, God had given me everything that I needed. I just couldn't, I couldn't assimilate it in that moment and give it words, but it was all there. It was all there. And I just over time needed to get in alignment with, with his grace and his love. That is, that is my witness too. And I can't think of a better um, point since we've, you know, hit our time to, to leave our listeners with that what we need is there and Mm -hmm. our experiences are not to be run from, but they are to be learned from. Absolutely. Julie, thank you so much for just going so deep and sharing so much of, you know, with, with your open bookness, obviously that is a process of doing that. And thank you for doing the work. So you could give us such amazing content today. Thank Thank you, you. Julie. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Oh, I just love you. Thank you, Julie. And I hope that people um, will reach out to that content that you tease there. You didn't do it in a business tease, but (laughs) it's going to be such a great resource that people can be able to learn remotely or in person because not everybody is right here in, in Utah to have access to this, the ultimate kind of healing and finding joy and healing and um, purpose in it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Julie. So thank you for being on this episode of Share Your Hotness with Lita Green and my guest, Julie Clapp. The Share Your Hotness podcast is produced by Van Garrett Media. Lita Green is the host and creator of the podcast. Chris Van Garrett is the editor, producer, and music director. Shayla Dawn is our research coordinator. Join us next week for another episode of the Share Your Hotness podcast. Thanks for listening. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media.